You are listening to Riverhouse Church's Sermon of the Week. We hope this talk equips and inspires you. All right, all right, six o'clock, how are we doing? You guys ex- happy and blessed to be in the house of God tonight? All right, um, do you have your Bibles? If you don't, then what did you want me to speak out of tonight? Bring your Bibles. I just think I like having like the written word, and I don't really like it on your iPhone. That's just my personal opinion, but it's okay. And you know why? This is why I get on I get on this soapbox all the time. It's because on my iPhone, I text and I do Instagram and I do Facebook and I do five million other things, ESPN app, Robin Hood, I buy stocks, I do everything on my iPhone. So it's really difficult to concentrate on reading the Bible when I'm, you know what I mean? It's like a buzz machine. You know what I'm talking about? Boom, 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 boom. So if you really want to like go deep in the word, I don't know how you do it on the iPhone. It's good if you get stuck somewhere, a little snack. But if you want a real meal, you got to have the book, all right? Okay, uh, if you have your Bibles, if you, you can turn them to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to start and read a verse there together. But then also if you can bookmark Matthew 17. I'm going to do a lot of scriptures tonight. You can follow with me if you want, but I might not give you time to flip there. But these two I want you to be able to read because we'll read those two together. Sound good? So I'm going to preach tonight on uh, Revelation. So last night we talked about receiving Revelation, or we actually just talked about receiving from God in general, receiving grace. But an aspect of that is we learn to receive the voice of God. He communicates to us. His spirit communicates through words, through language, through expression, and we receive Revelation. And we've talked about this in a number of ways over the last months in prayer, different capacities, um, and we're learning to receive. But receiving is just the beginning of of like hearing God's voice, we also have to, we have to receive it and then we have to learn to interpret it. So the thesis of tonight's message is that we receive revelation from God, but we interpret it in community. All right, we receive revelation from God, but we interpret it in community. So that's what I'm going to talk about. We're going to look at a lot of scriptures to kind of back up that claim. But I want to talk about how to interpret revelation from God. So first, when I'm talking about receiving revelation, we're going to, if you... Colossians chapter 1, you there? You have that? So I'm just going to read. This is a prayer that I've been drawn to repeatedly by the Holy Spirit over the last few months to really pray over you as this church. And uh, this is the prayer. Uh, For this reason, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who's qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. I don't want to go into all of that, but I just want to focus that being filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that we'll walk in a manner worthy of the Lord and see all that fruit in our life. So I don't, want, I don't want to focus on the whole prayer, but I have been zeroing in on this idea that we be filled, that we be a church that's filled with the knowledge of God's will. We have wisdom and understanding so that we can understand God's will for us. Amen? Who wants to know God's will? Right, this is an important prayer. This is an important thing to know. Right? We receive God's will through revelation. We need spiritual wisdom and understanding. Right? There's a, we're perceiving. We're receiving revelation from God. This is important because John 10 shows us, my sheep follow me because they hear my, my voice. Right? That's, that's a means of receiving revelation. We hear his voice through the scriptures, through discernment. We're trying to discern the spirit. We're spending time in prayer because we are needing to know what his voice is so we can follow him. 
right? So it's really important that we receive revelation. Right? I want to define revelation for you because revelation is a word that is a little bit controversial sometimes because we've seen people be like, man, let me share my revelation with you. And they share it with you and you're like, are you Christian? You know what I'm talking about? You've heard these like revelations. You're like, I, don't, I think you're just putting revelation from God tagged onto whatever you came up with. You know what I'm talking about? That doesn't seem to be grounded in the inspiration of who I know Jesus to be, right? But because of that, then some people veer the other way, and it's like, you know what? It's just the Bible. The Bible is the only place that God speaks. That is not true. That's not what the Bible says (laughs) about how God speaks, right? So revelation simply means to pull back the veil, Right? It's, just, it's to pull back the veil so that you can see with new eyes something. Right? And, and specifically, uh, it's not new information in the sense that it's never existed before. It's just God is bringing, uh, he's making the scriptures come alive to us. Right? When God breathes revelation, when we receive revelation, the scriptures become alive. We see them with new eyes, with new perception. All right, a couple of verses of that in, in Luke chapter 24 on the road to Emmaus. Uh, it says that two disciples are walking, and Jesus joins them, and he begins to describe himself in all the scriptures, right? These two had heard these scriptures their whole life. They're Jewish people, right? But it says, this is what they say after Jesus leaves. He said, they said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? Right, so they were receiving revelation. The, the veil was being pulled back so that they could see the scriptures, inside into the scriptures. Does this make sense? Right? And another verse in Luke 24, this is a few verses later. This is Luke 24, verse 45. It says that then Jesus opened their minds to understand the scriptures. This is the 12 disciples. He opened their minds. He gave them spiritual wisdom and understanding to have revelation into the scriptures. Right? So there's a major form of revelation is scriptural insight. The Bible comes to life. Has anybody had this before? You know, oftentimes when you'll, you know, it's like you'll have something that awakens and you begin to see something woven through all the scriptures that you never saw before. And it, it's like your hearts are burning inside of you, right? So there is scriptural, there, there's revelation that, that manifests in the form of scriptural insight, right? But then there is also Extra biblical revelation. So there's biblical revelation, insight into the scriptures, into the scripture, the scriptures. <laughs> What's a scripture? You know. And then there is extra biblical revelation, right? Extra biblical revelation is where some people, you know, they're like, "Oh, this is starting to get a little wonky." You know what I mean? Like, oh, extra biblical, right? And we've actually almost made it as if only charismatics believe in extra biblical revelation. That's not true. I have pastored in different denominations. I have spoke in many different denominations. Everybody believes in extra, extra biblical revelation. This is the point. Every Christian I know, when they're contemplating moving states, they're praying, I'm trying to figure out if God wants me to move or not, right? That's not in the Bible. Can I get an amen? It is not in the Bible if you should move to Michigan or not. Just not. You're not going to find it. In the, you could literally know the scriptures better than anyone. You're not going to know if you should move to Michigan or not, right? Should I change my job or not? It's not gonna, it's not gonna be in there. There's no scripture gonna say, you should move your you know, company, whatever. Like, right, we're all seeking extra biblical revelation. This is simply when God, he, he contextualizes scriptural truth into our life, 
right? So it's, it's not anti-biblical, it's not just whatever it is, but it's when scriptural truth, God breathes and he speaks something that takes the truth of scripture and then contextualizes it into our life. All right, I want to give you some examples of this, right? In uh, Acts chapter 9, we know Paul's encounter, right, where he has an extra biblical revelation. He sees Jesus. He almost goes blind. He recognizes in that moment that Jesus is Lord, right? That wasn't through scripture. That was through a, a subjective experience, right? But then uh, it follows that it, all of you are familiar with Ananias, right? Ananias is a disciple. He's just a normal dude. It says in verse chapter 10 of, or of chapter 9, verse 10 of Acts, it says, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, get up and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he's praying and he's seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. That is extra biblical revelation. Right? Ananias is a normal guy. He receives insight, right? But Ephesians 2 says that God has prepared good works for us in advance that we should walk in them. There is a contextualization of that verse. God prepared a good work. He spoke to him a word. Ananias followed, spoke a pretty significant word into Paul, who is Saul, now Paul, right? And changed his whole life. Right, so God has prepared good works, right? That's a, that's a scriptural truth, right? But that just got contextualized into the life of Ananias, and, uh, extra biblical revelation, right? So extra biblical revelation can, it can veer into wonky land where it gets kind of weird and out there, but it's, it, it shouldn't. It should simply be a contextualization of scriptural principle, scriptural truth. Does this make sense to you all? Right, in my own life, there was a time uh, I was at a marketplace in Ecuador, I remember, in Random little marketplace, there's probably, you know, hundreds of people walking around buying and selling stuff. And I just saw this guy, and I just knew, the Lord was like, he has shoulder issues, and I, I, wanna, I want you to pray for him. And I tried to find him, he disappeared. Like 30 minutes later, I was with my buddy, who's my translator. The guy showed up, I said, hey, hey, ask that guy a question. So he gets his attention, and I said, ask him if he's got shoulder pain. Ask him if he had shoulder pain, and the guy looked at me, he said, how do you know that? And I said, Jesus Christ, I'm a Christian. He told me, and I want to pray for you. Prayed for him. His shoulder got healed. He was in tears. Ended up telling him about this church. Tried to get him next to the local church. And you know, I don't live there, so I don't know what happened to him. But like, right, I just, I received just this little piece of information. Right, last week, you know, I gave the uh, the flipping houses. You know, I I want to share this just because it builds all of our faith. But I probably had seven different distinct prayer encounters. But there was one. You may be here. I don't know. Uh, but it was a woman in our church came up to me and she was emotional, saying, "I just quit my job about a week or a week and a half ago. I can't remember." And she said, "I I left my job uh, to start flipping houses full time, and it's been such a vulnerable transition, and I've been so afraid." And and that, and that you know, and I got to speak and have this beautiful prayer time. So right, like just little things. Right? God gives extra biblical revelation. This is good. It's scriptural. The Bible tells us this. Um, does this all make sense to you? This is important because my sheep follow me because they hear my voice. Right? So we need to receive revelation. This is a normal experience. We hyper-spiritualize this. Those stories, those aren't hyper-spiritual. It's not because I'm special. It's just because I happened to step out on what I felt popped into my head. We have the mind of Christ. The spirit who knows the thoughts of God lives inside of you and me, and I think we're growing to learn on this, right? So it's not hyper-spiritual, it's not for the special, it's for everyone. But, right, we receive revelation from God, it's important. 
And this is probably even more important, is that we interpret it through community. And this is what I really want to talk to you about tonight. All right? So uh, when we talk about biblical revelation, extra-biblical revelation, there's a sliding scale here. Right? It's a, it's, biblical revelation is safer because the Bible is an objective book, meaning I have the same one that you have. Right? So there's a starting ground that's the same. People will say this sometimes, and I, I just want to debunk this myth, that, oh, this is, the Bible's objective, and how I read the scriptures is, is objective. That is not true. Right? Everyone actually reads and brings their own subjective perspective to how we interpret the scriptures. The proving point of this, like there's a, a man named Jack Deere. He wrote a couple books called Surprised by the Voice of the Spirit, Surprised by the Power of the Spirit. Um, really be- beautiful theological books on um, different uh, aspects with the Holy Spirit, if you want to do some more research. But he was a professor at uh, Dallas Theological Seminary, and he, uh, he talked about how all the, di- the different theological camps just in the seminaries in this country, they all say, we believe in the objective word of God and the scriptures, and this is what we use to inform our theology, and they all have very different theologies. Right? And I'm not here to knock on any theology, but I'm just here to say is that we read with our own perspectives we bring into our understanding of scriptures. So even how we, even biblical revelation is still subjective. It is not as subjective as extra biblical revelation, but it is still subjective, all right? So there's a sliding scale though. The more it goes from biblical revelation and then veers to extra biblical revelation, it should also increase in our willingness and our, of, of bringing it under authority. Right, because this is, this is safer, and this starts getting less and less safe. And the way that we make it more safe is that we bring it under authority of community in our lives, of spiritual leadership in our life, of wise counsel in our life. So the more that we are on a sliding scale from biblical to extra biblical, it needs to also be on a sliding scale of how submitted it is under authority. Does this make sense? This is how we bring safety to it. Thank you for saying yes. Okay, so we've heard the verse, in abundance of counselors, there's victory, right? That's in Proverbs. I don't have the reference off the top of my head. But this is sometimes what I think we do with that verse. We, we uh, you know, because, like, just raise your hand if you've done this. You've gone to, like, nine people before, and they give you nine different things, and you're like, I'm more confused now than I was when I started. Anybody? This is why. It's because we're not going to counselors when we do that. We're going to people trying to get them to tell us what to do. Right? It doesn't say in an abundance of CEOs that haven't figured out to tell you what to do with the rest of your life, or, or you know, leaders or bosses. It says in counselors. Right? And counselors, good counselors that are trained, they don't ever tell you what to do. <laughs> in fact, it can be frustrating if you go to a counselor. Anybody ever been frustrated because you went to a counselor, you wanted them to tell you what to do, and you left, and you're like, no, I just have more questions. I don't know anything what to do. I just have a bunch of questions now. That's because good counselors remove themselves from the equation. They start, it's about you. They're asking questions to get you to process what's going on inside of you. And so in an abundance of counselors, there's victory because they're going to ask challenging questions to get you to own your story, what's going on, so that you can make confident decisions, not make them for you. All right? So we need to learn how to invite an abundance of counselors into our lives. Um, but to do that... Uh, it's it, it's 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 gonna take some intentionality, but it's so worth it, and that's kind of what I want to kind of make my point here tonight, right? So we're trying, we're seeking understanding is really what it comes down to, right? And if we look at the disciples, 
All throughout the Gospels, here's a couple references for your own study. Matthew 13, 36, Matthew 15, 12, Matthew 15, 15. These are just a few of many examples that we see all throughout the Gospels where Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He's giving them revelation in the form of parables. And they are saying this in those verses. We don't understand what that means. Can you explain it to us? We don't understand what it means. Can you explain that to us? Say that. Can you explain that to me? No, no, like say it. Can you explain that to me? All right, say it with some like more curiosity. Can you explain that to me? All right, the disciples said this a lot because disciples are learners. That's what it means. So to be a learner means you don't know. And the disciples constantly are receiving revelation from Jesus that they don't understand what it means. So they're asking, what does that mean? Right? And Jesus, there's, the, there's where he's, we see him, he's teaching them over time how to interpret the things that he says. And oftentimes, their first interpretation of authentic revelation they receive is wrong. It's wrong. And we are fooling ourselves so we think it's any different with us. Because the truth is, is that we are not designed, we are not equipped to interpret the revelation we receive by ourselves. We're not. We don't have the perspective. We don't have the, the eyes. We don't have the, the, the thought. We don't see the whole picture. We only see a portion of the picture. And we are interpreting it through our own subjectivity. And we are not equipped to understand the full picture. We don't understand but instead of having the humility and being a disciple and being a learner, we're often, we will just, we'll tag on an interpretation to the experience we have based on our own knowing, and then we'll just go with that. We never invite people into it. We never say, can you explain that to me? Because we think we've already got it figured out, right? The reality is that Jesus speaks in parables most of the time. And I would suggest that when God speaks to you and I, it doesn't, always, we don't, it doesn't always make sense. We don't always fully understand it. It's not always like crystal clear, like I've, I know every single little detail, right? Am I speaking to the right crowd? Like most of the time God speaks to me, it's like, huh? It's like, wow, that like touches me, but I, what does it mean? You ever read the scriptures? You're like, gosh, something in my heart's like feeling peaceful, but what does that mean? You ever read Paul, like Ephesians chapter one, and you're like, could you slow down? Every single verse is like profound. You know what I'm talking about? What does this mean? To figure out what a parable means takes work, takes time, takes discipline, takes patience, takes effort. Right? Jesus left us parables, which meant the heavy lifting is on our end to figure out what it means. Right, so God, we receive revelation, but it takes work to interpret that revelation, and it takes community. It takes counselors. It takes processing. It takes prayer. It takes patience. It takes time to fully come to understand what the revelation meant in the first place. Understanding is a journey that, that it, it's a process. Right? It requires process. And the reason that God speaks in parables because God likes process. And on the process of coming to understanding, it will inevitably require a paradigm shift on our end. It will require a paradigm shift. Peter is praying at the Tanner, Simon the Tanner's house. He has a vision. The sheet comes down. He sees all these unclean animals. A voice says, kill and eat. 
Okay, extra biblical revelation, and not just extra biblical, but he thought it was anti-biblical. That was completely offensive to everything that he had known. This wasn't Peter's first rodeo, though. We, we watched that as his process to coming to interpret, which was confirmed from, you know, from Cornelius having, sending the messengers all the timing. So I'm sure he's recognizing God's moving. But you see, he's having to interpret. He's on a process to try to understand what God was saying. And the process of coming to understanding required Peter to get a paradigm shift that opened the door for you and I to get here. Because it meant the Gentile inclusion. So unless you're a Jew, his paradigm shift was pretty significant for you and I. Do you see what I'm saying? The process of coming to understanding of the revelation God gives will produce a paradigm shift in you and I. And this is the truth. Paradigm shifts are uncomfortable. They're often painful because they make us reinterpret our story. They make us reinterpret who, who we know God to be. They make us reinterpret who we know ourselves to be. And whenever we are reinterpreting our story and our past and our understanding of God, we are inevitably redefining our identity, and that is not a comfortable process. But God speaks. He gives us a revelation we don't understand because he wants to take us on a process that's going to produce a paradigm shift that's going to change the way we see him, change the way we see ourselves, and inevitably change the way we see our role in bringing his kingdom. He's trying to purify us. He's trying to remove our agenda, try to remove our background, our perspective, and he's trying to bring us into his perspective and what he sees. Right? So that's why it takes time. It takes process. It takes patience. It takes community. It takes some tension but it's worth it. Are you following me here? All right, so if you have Matthew 17 tagged, we're going to read this together. I'm going to, I'm going to read a fairly long passage of, of the scripture here. So just, just let the word wash over you, and then we're going to unpack it. This is the story of the transfiguration. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his garments became white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll make three tabernacles here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I'm pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground and were terrified. And Jesus came to them and touched them and said, Get up. Don't be afraid. And lifting up their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus alone. As they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one till the Son of Man has risen from the dead. And his disciples asked him, Why then do the scribes say Elijah must come first? And he answered and said, Elijah's coming and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah already came, and they didn't recognize him, but did whatever they wished. And so also the Son of Man will suffer at their hands. Okay, this is a cool story. Right? Peter's on the mountain. And he has an authentic experience with God. He, he has a revelation. He sees Jesus, sees Moses, sees Elijah. You following me? Right? He's like, oh my gosh. And his first response was he interpreted that through his own paradigm. Being Moses, the law, Elijah, the prophets, and now Jesus, they're equal. 
I'm going to build three, tabernacle, three, three altars for each one of them. Right? He, he, he's, he's convinced of his interpretation. And he has to get corrected. No, 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 no. It's not about, that's not what I'm trying to tell you right now, Peter. You following me here? What I'm trying to show you is that this is Jesus. He's above the law and the prophets. That's a huge paradigm shift. We don't actually know how long it took Peter to get that paradigm shift. But they're, they're actually asking interpretive questions on the way down the mountain. Well, if you're the Son of God, the Messiah, then why did they say that Elijah had to come for right? They're trying to make sense of a revelation that didn't quite line up with their current paradigm. Is this, are you following me? All right, I want to contextualize this and modernize this to like uh, Riverhouse Church, Boise, Idaho, 2019. All right. This is usually the conversation goes when Peter talks to me, okay? Pastor Jordan, God told me to go on this prayer retreat up on that mountain, and I went. I had the craziest experience. Let me tell you, I literally had a vision. I saw Jesus glorified. Moses was standing next to him. Elijah was next to him, and then I just knew in that moment I needed to build an altar for all three of them, so I'm literally already went to Home Depot. I have the wood in the back of my truck. I'm going to pick up these really cool cut stones from the quarry, and I'm going to build an altar on the mountain tonight. Do you want to come join me? Puts me in a really awkward place. Because I might be like, okay, that doesn't really resonate with me at all. And I'm left with two choices, which is one, I'm like, offer some correction or be like, woohoo. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? And, and, and so, and then what I, I find, th then this whole dichotomy, so basically what I'm trying to describe is that someone comes, they had an authentic experience with God but they've already created their own independent interpretation. So by the time it gets to me, they already have encounter, interpretation, and application figured out on their own. But they didn't ever submit that to anybody. So then and either I can bless it or I can curse it. And it's not even just necessarily as Pastor Jordan. This is just life. And then what happens is if I don't affirm it, then it's like you're judging me, you don't believe, and then they, you can use it to justify actually veering further into independence. I get really worried when I see people who have even gifts from God of receiving revelation and have a lot of extra biblical revelation, but they're the people that live in most independent, separated from community that I know. I have a lot of issues with that because it's the opposite. God's about family. And when he speaks, he's actually drawing us into family because it's always bigger than ourselves. He wants the revelation that we interpret and bring to bear. It should impact a whole community because we're leaning in and we're pressing into community. And instead of that, because we, don't, we haven't humbled ourselves and become disciples and become learners who've embraced the process and allow God to bring paradigm shifts that are often painful. We just move and move and justify these paradigms of independence and it just doesn't cut it. So too many Christians are on the mountainside building altars to Moses, Elijah, and Jesus when they had honest, God-fearing encounters that were real and authentic but because they didn't sub submit in the interpretation process to community and the safety that comes in counsel and community, they're off doing their own thing and they're veering away from the truth. Now, this is the big reason I think there's such a, a division around the prophetic in the body of Christ. It's because there's wounds on both sides. And those with the gifting of the prophetic are pushed into, are, are going and isolating and independence and then doing things that are justifying the criticisms in the first place. We have to come together 
and submit ourselves in mutual, in mutual humility. And we have to learn to lean in and recognize that though I may have a gifting to receive revelation, I don't have the full perspective to fully interpret it. That is good. Right, if we want God to trust us with his heart, he's looking for disciples. Right, he's looking for people that he knows will humble themselves under the word, under the authority of the word, whether it's a written or a spoken revelation, and allow it to shape us and not put our interpretation onto it. Right? And we see that Jesus took his disciples, John 6, eat my flesh and drink my blood. That's a, that's a difficult interpretation. Most people interpreted that as cannibalism. That's not what Jesus was talking about. But he created a space, right? So he's teaching his disciples. Peter, on the transfiguration, he's, you know, he's learning, he's learning. And then you see Peter in maturity took him one day, had a revelation, you know, with the sheet. That was very confrontational. That was, that, was, that was an offensive revelation. But you watched how it, it, it shifted Peter because he'd been discipled and learning to interpret revelation. And you see Paul submits his revelations to the council. Peter submitted. We see later he goes, he goes to the council and he submits what happened. He tells them the story of what happened. Right? Because they are communally discerning what God is speaking, what the Spirit is speaking. There's no such thing as this independent, individualized spirituality. We're a family. We're a body. We need each other. Amen? So I want to close with four different uh, practical points of stewardship. So just four pr very practical things of how you can steward what I just communicated to you. All right, the first one is extremely profound. You need to read the Bible. <laughs> right? Like, sometimes I feel like, it's like if I get up here and say, you need to read the Bible, it's like, you're so religious. It's like, no. Like, guys, like, this is, <laughs> this is our book. <laughs> like, you know, like, this is what's leading and guiding and shaping the life of the church over 2,000 years. I think we should join the fad. I think we should drink the Kool-Aid and actually read the scriptures because it will save us from drinking the Kool-Aid. Yeah, that's good. But I have two practical tools. We don't just need to read the Bible. We need to read the Bible in context. And the beautiful thing of living in the 21st century is there are incredible tools that take what used to be a lot of work and condense it into very short amounts of time. So the Bible Project, anybody use this? Uh, they're little 10-minute YouTube videos that build a contextualized understanding of book after book of the Bible. I think they do a really, really good job of presenting a, a very healthy perspective on the scriptures. And uh, so just like, you know, in addition to reading Ephesians, like w watch the Bible Project, then read Ephesians. It's very simple, but it will help you read the scripture in its right context so that we can um, actually uh, See, it, see what Paul was writing to the church so that we can interpret what was actually being communicated and not read our own story into the communication. Does that make sense? Uh, the other thing is some of us struggle. You don't know how to read or the discipline of it. And I don't per, um, use the daily study Bible myself, but I think it's a really, really wonderful tool that you can use to help you build a routine. It's about a 15-minute, I think they break into about 15 minutes readings a day. You'll read through the entire Bible in a year. So, it, you know, it's not, it's not that out, outlandish of a goal. Um, but I, the, the church that I've, we've been partnering with down in Orange County, uh, Viewpoint Church and Pastor Becky Tirabasi, they, she just really pushes the study Bible, and the whole church, literally the whole church, 
reads that daily study Bible every week, and they're all, you know, together reading in the same scriptures. And I think that there's beauty uh, when when we come together and we're in the Word. And so, if that's something that could be benefit of you, um, get a, get a daily study Bible and just commit 15 minutes for the next year and know the scriptures. Let them get inside of you. Amen. Right. We, we need to be a people of the word. It does not make sense to be a Christian and not, not know the Bible and not be in the Bible. It does not make sense to be a Christian if you haven't read the whole Bible because then you don't know what you are and you don't know what you're signing up for and you don't know what you're a part of because it's so much bigger than you. So we need to read the word and just make that a priority. This isn't to shame you. This isn't to condemn you. This is just to encourage you. That's really important and it's totally worth it. Um, okay, so read the word. That's number one. Uh, number two is you need to develop consistent processors in your life, and processors, counselors, right? People that you can process life and process what you feel like God is speaking to you throughout, like your life. And what the reason I say consistent is that I have found uh, it takes a certain amount of time to get to know someone, to get to know like your 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 quirks and how you roll and you know your weaknesses and your blind spots and your your you know tendencies in certain areas. Right? You know what I'm talking about? Like, there are certain people in my life that I just know. Like, they're, they're always going to be, they're going to say yes before anybody else has. And they're going to be, like, wanting to go on. Like, and I, I, you have to know the context of the people. You have to understand their story before you can really start processing with them in a meaningful way. And if you just go from counselor to counselor to counselor, you can, you can always find someone that's going to basically tell you what you want to hear. Even though that might not be your heart, it's simply because there's not, a, there's not a developed consistency of time and history that you've developed with that person. Does that make sense? So consistency is huge. You need consistent processors that, that they've seen you. They've seen your patterns. They've seen your past. They know your story. So they're not just speaking into this, but they're speaking into this exact conversation in the context of what you've been going after and how you've been living over the last years of your life. Does that make sense? Right? And the other thing I'd say is they don't just need to be consistent, but they need, it needs to be a multi-generational team that you develop around you. Um, I have people, multiple people that are my age, multiple people that are my parents' age, and then one person that's my grandparents' age that are my consistent core processors. And they, they've, all of them I have at least three years that's like about the minimum I have with any of those. And they're helping me process. And they'll, you know, honestly, it's like, they'll be like, sometimes, you know, Jordan, I heard something very similar to this 12 months ago when you were kind of like down and you're being a little cranky and then you start to get these ideas. And it's like, crap, I forgot about that. You know, you know what I mean? But they didn't because they've seen the same thing. So they, they have the ability and insight to speak into me in a way that other people wouldn't because it'd be so much work to bring them up to speed into all of it. Does that make sense? Right, so you need consistent, multi-generational processors. And this is not just something I preach. This is something I live. Um, this, just so you all know, like the way that this, the church is run, uh, we have a board right, of elders, board of directors, and uh, they're my favorite meetings of every month. And I've heard a lot of horror stories of how boards are run, and people come in with their agendas, and there's these fights over trying to make it happen, and yada, yada, yada. And that just simply has never been our experience here because everyone on that team, it's a, it's, a, it's a team of discernment. And we come and we have an agenda of decisions that need to be made for the life of the church and, you know, the ministry of the church and the culture of the church. And we bring that agenda, and every single time we meet, almost, I think almost every single time, maybe I've forgotten, but I was just throwing it almost. But I pray at the beginning of that meeting, God, help us discern the voice of Jesus who's the, the other person in this room. 
that's speaking through the midst of all of us. And so we bring and then we offer insight and we wrestle and we create tension and we allow God to shape our understanding of topics and decisions and give him permission as we're discerning together as a team what he wants to speak. And the, the downside of this is there's been times where decisions that I would have wanted to make in a week take three or four months to make. But I know that when they get made, it's because there's, this, it, there's a safety to it because they've been, it's been discerned by a whole team. So though maybe there's certain things as a lead pastor, I have to ultimately pull my hand on the trigger. There's a safety that comes with it because I know that I, they have my back because we've all discerned and we all sense that Jesus is speaking and Jesus is behind this. Does this make sense? There's a lot of times we make decisions in independence. They're really scary. And they don't have to be so scary. Like, yes, nobody's going to make a decision for you in your life. But when you've developed a team around you and, and they're processing and they're giving, they're your blessing, they're also going to be with you in the hard times. And they're going to encourage you when it's difficult. And they're going to encourage you when you start to doubt because they were with you on the whole journey. And they've helped you interpret. And they've actually sowed their heart and their faith into your journey with you. So you're not doing it alone. You're not doing it as an orphan. You're not doing there as a as a lone wolf. You are in a pack. And though you're the one out making that risky decision, there's people behind you that are with you for the long haul because you've invited them at a heart level to sow their faith, their faith and their heart into it as well. Does this make sense to you? Right, it brings so much peace. This has brought so much peace to my life. I can't even begin to tell you. Um, I'm, I'm so thankful uh, for, for this uh, in my life. So read the scriptures. One, two, it's consistent, multi-generational processors. Right? And you have to pursue these relationships. Um, multiple of these relationships, I went and just said, hey, will you play this role in my life and, and, and honor someone? Most people are very honored to be able to play a role like that. You guys are quiet. You're taking notes or just falling asleep. All right. Uh, the third one is there's two interpretive questions that the scriptures give us that I think are really good. Uh, in Acts chapter 2, after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, uh, they're trying to figure out what the heck's happening. <laughs> And there's two questions in light of this on this day of Pentecost. And the first one is on um, Acts 12, 12. It says that they were continued in amazement in great perplexity, right? Like anybody been there before? I'm amazed, but I'm so confused what's happening in River House on Sunday. Amen? Why is that person making those noises, right? Like I'm, but they say to one another, what does this mean? Right? That's a great question to ask the Lord. What does this mean? Because right? there's a lot of times we end up judging what we don't understand, but if we'd rather just approach it with curiosity, we would glean so much more insight. You know, I heard a story one time that there was a, a woman worshiping in a very provocative way right at the front of the stage, not at River House, but in another church. And the pastor was so uncomfortable, he almost like was going to be like, you need, like, please stop. And the whole time he was wrestling. And at the end of that worship set, uh, someone came up and tapped him on the shoulder and pointed and said, isn't that so beautiful? And he looked and said, what do you mean beautiful? It's making me uncomfortable. And she said, that woman has been a prostitute for the last 40 years. And she just got saved. <laughs> you know, and she was worshiping the best that she knew how. But it was, it was out of gratitude in a response to the Lord. And that story's never left me because there are times when I don't understand someone's experience. I don't understand what's happening. As the pastor in this building, I don't always understand everybody's experiences in the room. Some could make me uncomfortable if I were to go into a judgmental place. But instead of going to judgment, go to curiosity and ask the Lord, what does this mean? What's happening? 
in your own life, what does this mean? Right? Instead of just jumping to conclusions. No, this means this. I need to build an altar. No, no. What does this mean? And the second question is in uh, Acts 2, verse 37. Peter preaches his sermon. says that when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart, which is a sign of revelation, right? They, the scriptures pierced them. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? What does this mean? What must I do? Those are two really good questions that you can bring to the Lord, that you can bring to uh, the counselors in your life. Make sense? Uh, that's the third. And the fourth is patience. Uh, patience is required in the process of interpretation. And uh, my buddy Dave, I was with him this weekend, he told me this quote that Bob Goff, he listened to a podcast recently, and Bob said something along the lines of, uh, I, 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 I've been, I often want to put things in the microwave, but the Lord keeps taking them out and put them in the, in the, in the uh, crock pot. I was going to say the crocker, and I was like, that is, <laughs> that is not what it is. I keep wanting to put things in the microwave. God keeps taking it out and putting it in the crock pot. Right? And I think uh, the interpretive process, we often want to put it in a microwave and almost force this and suddenly to happen. Right, because we see other people, we, we love the testimonies of the and suddenlies. And suddenly God happened. And suddenly that that miracle happened and that prophecy was fulfilled in someone's life. And suddenly, and we love the and suddenly, but the reality is that behind every and suddenly is a long unhidden hidden process. Right? And so if we will embrace the process, the and suddenlies do emerge, but we have no say in making and suddenlies emerge. Right? It's embracing that slow process that is a life that's positioned for the and suddenlies of God to work through. But we almost want to force our timelines and we create anxiety because we only focus on these and suddenly moments of manifestation when the reality is that's not how it happens. Right? God is pretty deliberate in his timing and he loves process. He loves process. Nobody in the scriptures comes into the destiny fulfilled in their 20s. Nobody. Not one person. And, and it would be even argued uh, that anybody comes into that even in their 30s. Jesus probably fulfilled his call youngest, 33. You know, and you look at uh, uh, all the stories, even the, those that were called young, David, Joseph, it was not until later in life that they actually embodied their life messages. Joseph didn't embody it until his family came back to Egypt many, many years later. David didn't embody it until... You know, he'd, uh, he'd walked later in life and laid down his dreams to build the temple. And, you know, we can go into all of that, but it's a process. God loves process. Right? And, and it's, a, it's a crock pot. It's not a microwave. Right? And I say this to say is that's the overall perspective we should bring to the interpretive process. So oftentimes we receive revelation and then we're hurried to interpret it and then make it happen. Right? And, and one of the things that I believe is that God is always on time. So whenever people come to me with a revelation and then an interpretation that they've gathered from that, that is directive, meaning like, you know, I'm going to quit my job or God told me to move and sell my house or God told me, and they tell that to me, but then there's this hurriedness to the time crunch. I, I get pretty leery of that. And I would try to invite people back into a process of interpretation because God's not in a hurry. God's always on time, so he's not going to tell you something that's going to then push you into a hurry. Does that make sense? So I, I don't, I personally don't make decisions. I hate like impulse shopping. I always have to sit on things, and 
I was shopping for a car a few years back. And uh, after like six hours, I looked at the guy. I was like, all right, well, I'm going to have to go home and sleep on this. He looked at me. He was like, seriously, dude? <laughs> That's a real story. I was like, sorry, man. I just, I'm slow, you know. But uh, God, not, not to say that you can't make decisions fast, but just generally speaking, it's patience. All right, it's a, it's a crock pot. And the truth is, is that we want the right word in the right season. Right, the right word in the right season. And again, we need counselors to help us discern this. You know, but I've had people, seriously, guys, like people in the last year have told me, I really think that, um, you know, millennials, they, you, you should speak on the topic of, uh, you know, millennial dating. <laughs> I was like, seriously? Like, you think I should? Like, and I was, you know, I'm dating someone now, so I'm not single anymore. I keep finding myself say that because I've been for so long. But, like, like, do you want me to, like, lead people into eternal singleness? Like, what, what would I say to millennials about dating that should have any credence, right? And this is the reality is because I have an anointing on my life to teach and preach the word of God, I could probably do something that would, like, bless people in some measure just spring you know off off the anointing God's given me but that does not mean it's the right word in the right season that would be the right word perhaps in the wrong season and whenever you give birth to a premature baby it causes a lot of complications and a lot of heartache that you don't really want to go through and so I believe too many people give birth to premature babies spiritually speaking premature ministries premature expressions in response to prophetic revelation because they have done the work of interpreting the timetable around it and we thought it was a microwave when God put it in a crock pot and so we're trying to bring it in like six months to market and God's like no no no. I was about like a six-year word but you never even stopped to ask those questions what does this mean and submit that revelation to a council around you you just interpreted that through your own your own subjective experience and so you you're operating in a way that's not going to be the most fruitful and it's going to be heartache for you does that make sense I'm, like, this is practical, but I think it can be important if we grab a hold of it, right? So we want to give the right word in the right season, and that is a work of interpretation. So do you see that there's heavy lifting involved in this? But it's so worth it, right? It's so worth it because when we can just embrace the unforced rhythms of God's grace, there's so much fruitfulness, there's so much peace, right? There's so, like, it's, everything's in timing, and it works when God's in it. Amen? So this is how we're going to close tonight. Uh, I just want to create a, a response. You can just, everyone close your eyes, bow your head. And if you're just convicted in any way right now, which some of you may be, and that's awesome. That means God's speaking to you. That means, you know, there's revelation that you're receiving. Uh, I just want to give a response. And, and the response would be to just turn and to kneel at your seat. And uh, that's to say, I'm ready to be a disciple. I'm ready to be a learner, and I recognize that there's been independence in my life. I recognize that I've had some tendencies to just do my own work of interpretation. And you're just saying, tonight, Lord, I'm ready to come under your authority. I'm ready to come under uh, your discipleship and the authority of your scripture and the authority of community and the authority of, of the counselors that that you and I will help establish in my life. And you're just, you're just doing it as an act of repentance, which is when we change the way we think. Um, and you can just kneel. So Lord, I, I thank you, God. I thank you, God, for the work that you're doing right now. We just bless you, Holy Spirit. You're so kind. You're so loving. 
you're discipling us just like you discipled uh, your disciples so long ago, Lord, and you're teaching them how to receive your words and to interpret them correctly and apply them to our lives, and we just so want to do that. And so we honor you, Lord, for all your goodness, and we repent. God, we repent for uh, any way that we've acted as if we didn't need each other, and we confess tonight, Lord, that we need you, that we need your word, that we need one another. God, and we're ready to, to create new patterns of interpretation in our lives, God, new patterns of processing uh, our life with community and ultimately with you so that you can lead us in purity and that you can guide us as a community to be a people, God, that receive revelation but interpret it uh, with such purity and wholeheartedness that there's a fruitfulness. God, we just say over this, this family, no more preemies. God, no more premature um, bringing things before their time. God, but we submit to your process God, and we want to be a people of understanding. So God, I just, just everyone just put your hand on, on your heart and just say, God, make me a, a person of understanding. God, we ask that you will lead us. God, that you'll fill us with the knowledge of your will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. God, that you'll show us the people that you have ordainedly brought into our lives to help us be counselors and to help us do the heavy lifting of seeing the fulfillment of this, uh, this knowledge and wisdom that we seek, God, materialize in our life. So we bless you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. We honor you. We thank you for what you're doing in this room. And we receive, God, all the mercy and the encouragement and the love that you have for us. And we pray all of these things in your mighty name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Riverhouse Podcast. For more information, visit riverhouseministries.com.